Judges chapter 12. Judges chapter 12. What's up with the Ephraimites? What's going on with them? What's their problem? You ever had somebody who's just, uh, or maybe some person or some group, and every time you turn around, they're, they're acting in some annoying way, and you're thinking, what's up with them? Well, in the book of Judges, that's the Ephraimites. Now, they're one of the 12 tribes of Israel. They're part of God's folks. But they're not acting like God's folks. What's up with them? Judges chapter 12. We're still talking about Jephthah. You remember him? The guy who talked when he should have been thinking? You remember him? Do I need to preach this morning's sermon all over again for some of you? Do I? No. This is after Jephthah's first war victory. After he had defeated the Ammonites, chapter 12, verse 1 says, The men of Ephraim called out their forces, crossed over Zaphon, and said to Jephthah, Why did you go to fight the Ammonites without calling us to go with you? We're going to burn down your house over your head. And Jephthah answered, I and my people were engaged in a great struggle with the Ammonites, and although I called, you didn't save me out of their hand. When I saw that you wouldn't help, I took my life in my hands and crossed over to fight the Ammonites, and the Lord gave me the victory over them. Now why have you come up today to fight me? Jephthah then called together the men of Gilead and fought against Ephraim. The Gileadites struck them down because the Ephraimites had said, You Gileadites are renegades from Ephraim and Manasseh. The Gileadites captured the fords of the Jordan leading to Ephraim, and whenever a survivor of Ephraim said, Let me cross over, the men of Gilead asked him, Are you an Ephraimite? And if he replied, no, they said, all right, say Shibboleth. Now, evidently, the Ephraimites had an accent that prohibited them from being able to say the shh sound. They could say a sound, but they couldn't say a shh sound. And so they were trying to escape. Are you an Ephraimite? No. Then say Shibboleth. Say Shibboleth. And he said Sibboleth. Because he could not pronounce the word correctly. Neither could any Ephraimite. Because he could not pronounced the word correctly, they seized him and killed him at the fords of the Jordan. 42,000 Ephraimites were killed at that time. Jephthah led Israel six years. Then Jephthah the Gileadite died and was buried in a town in Gilead. In order to understand this uh, story, 
I think it helps for us to realize that back in Genesis, the Bible says that Abraham, who was introduced to us in chapter 12, had a son named Isaac. And Isaac and his wife Rebekah had two sons, Jacob and Esau. And Jacob's name later on is changed to, tell me, Israel. Jacob's name is changed to Israel later on by God. And Jacob, or Israel, had 12 sons. And those 12 sons and their descendants comprised the original 12 tribes of Israel. If you were to look at Genesis chapter 35, you would find a list of 12 boys... And it would be this list, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, and Joseph. Now, somewhere between uh, chapter 45 and 48, Reuben, the oldest, offended his father. And his father, Jacob, or Israel, took away the blessing from Reuben And so by the time you get to Genesis 48, which is near the end of Genesis, you have Reuben's name removed from the list. You also have Joseph's name removed from the list. And in place of Joseph and Reuben, you have the two sons of Joseph who are at the bottom, Ephraim and Manasseh. So now, taking Reuben and Joseph out of the first list... And and including Ephraim and Manasseh, you have Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, Ephraim, and Manasseh. Then you come after the exodus to the time of Joshua. Moses is dead. Joshua leads the children of Israel over into Canaan. And the list goes back to include Reuben. as well as Ephraim and Manasseh. But there's no Levi. Probably because Levi was given not a portion of the land, but the Levites were to be priests and would not have a portion of the land. So take Levi out of the first two lists and put Reuben back in, and then you have Reuben, Simeon, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, Ephraim, and Manasseh. Then you shoot all the way to the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, and in chapter 7, it lists the 12 tribes. Except this time, you don't have Dan, and you don't have Ephraim, but you do have Joseph, and you do have Reuben, and you do have Levi. So if you were to ask the question, who are the 12 tribes of Israel? And you're going to do it biblically. You have a little bit of an issue. Now, if that is a problem for some people, let me just say that that is an analysis, a biblical analysis of the 12 tribes of Israel. In other words, the Bible sometimes gives clear black and white answers, and sometimes the answers the Bible gives are confusing. Now, some people's Bibles, I'm told, don't give confusing answers, but the full Bible does. I'll tell you, there are times when the full Bible gives some very confusing answers. That's a sidebar to this issue. 
Joseph, who was one of the original sons of Jacob, or Israel, he had two sons, one named Ephraim and one named Manasseh. Manasseh was the oldest one. And when Manasseh's grandfather, Jacob, went to bless one of the two boys, and normally in that culture you'd bless the oldest son. He would get the blessing. Jacob blessed the younger boy, who was Ephraim. Now, Joseph, their daddy, was still alive, and he was there, and he says, no, 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 you're blessing the wrong one. And he moved his hand back over Manasseh, and Jacob said, leave my hand alone. And he blessed the younger. Now, that was unusual in that culture, except for, if you read the book of Genesis, God was routinely choosing the younger over the older, and he was routinely choosing the lesser over the greater. He chose Isaac over his older brother, who? Name him. Ishmael. He chose Jacob over his older brother, who? Who is it? Esau. Reuben was the oldest, but before, he, before Jacob even died, Reuben was excluded. And the Messiah did not come through Reuben, came through who? Judah. God's all the time choosing the younger and the lesser over the older. Now, here's the deal. It's out of that tribe of Ephraim, one of the sons of Joseph, that we, that we run into. It's that tribe that we run into when we read the story of Jephthah. Jephthah goes out and defeats the Ammonites. You remember that this morning? He goes into the nation of Ammon and he destroys 20 straight cities in a massive military victory, and he comes back home to celebrate. And you remember the story. He goes home, and the first person out of his house is his daughter, and he promised God he'd sacrifice the first thing that came out. And he ends up sacrificing his daughter. It was a rash, unthought-through vow that he gives to God. God didn't ask him to do it. After the tragedy of sacrificing, literally killing his only child, his daughter, in a sacrifice to God, the Bible says that the Ephraimites come to him and they said, why did you go out and fight the Ammonites without us? Without even so much as calling upon us. We're going to burn your house down with you in it. Now, if you've been following the book of Judges, that refrain should sound familiar and the reason is now that's chapter 12 but if you go back to chapter 8 and I'm not going to put the slides of chapter 8 on the screen but if you go back to chapter 8 instead of Jephthah you have Gideon and Gideon has defeated the Midianites and he's come back home and somebody comes up to him complaining that he didn't call them who was it <laughs> the Ephraimites listen to this chapter 8 verse 1 now the Ephraimites came and asked Gideon, why have you treated us like this? Why didn't you call us when you went up to fight Midian? And they criticized him sharply. Now Gideon answered the Ephraimites different from Jephthah. Gideon said, look, what have I accomplished compared to you? Aren't the gleanings of Ephraim's grapes better than the full grape harvest of my people? God gave you the Midianite leaders into your hands. What was I able to do compared to you? At this, the resentment of the Ephraimites 
against him subsided. So Gideon, instead of fighting the Ephraimites, he backed down and praised them, complimented them, and they were satisfied. And you remember when we touched on that passage in chapter 8, I said that sometimes doing the right thing requires knowing when to back down as opposed to fighting. But Jephthah is no Gideon. And Jephthah is not used to backing down to anybody. He's had to fight and scrap and beat up his way for everything he's ever had. Remember, he's the son of Gilead, the the son also of a prostitute, and he was originally thrown out of his household by uh, his other uh, half-brothers. And then when they got in trouble, they brought him back and said, we'll make you the leader of our family, and they did make him the leader of the family. But here's the point. Both in chapter 8 and in chapter 12, after a resounding victory, God's people come home, and the Ephraimites, who didn't participate in either of the battles, comes up and says, why didn't you call us? You offended us. You went out, and you battled without calling us to battle. Gideon backed down from them, and... The whole issue was subsided. The resentment was subsided without any loss of life. Jephthah says, what do you mean? I called you. I invited you to fight with us. You said you were going to, but you never showed up. And so, realizing that you weren't going to show up, I went on and took matters into my own hands and fought the battle without you. Now, what business do you have coming to me wondering why we didn't call you? And the fight arose between Jephthah and the Gileadites and the Ephraimites. What's up with these Ephraimites? What's their problem? They didn't always used to be that way. In fact, some of the most famous people of Israel were Ephraimites. Does the name Joshua ring a bell with anybody? Probably the most famous Ephraimite. Joshua was no troublemaker, not with his fellow tribes. Now, he was trouble for the Canaanites, but he wasn't trouble for his fellow tribes. Do you remember the name Samuel, the prophet Samuel, who outside of Moses was the very first prophet of Israel, perhaps was the first writing prophet of Israel, Samuel was an Ephraimite. The first king of the northern kingdom of Israel was an Ephraimite. The Ephraimites were known for their dominance. They, they, they liked standing up and they liked getting attention. What was their problem? Well, I I want to call your attention to the fact that the Ephraimites had some problems. There are two in particular that I think are worth bringing up. First of all, they let their anger control their actions. And really, they had no justification for their anger. Here they were, evidently, what they said was not true. Either what they said was not true or what uh, Jephthah said was not true. They said, you didn't call us. Jephthah said, I called you, but you never came. One of those two things is true. They can't both be true. I'm going to side with Jephthah here, although 
to be quite honest, the Scripture does not say which one of the two was actually telling the truth. The Scripture doesn't say. But I'm going to side with Jephthah. Jephthah says, I called you and you did not fight with me. They were angry over being left out in a victorious battle. I wonder what they would have done if Jephthah had come back without being victorious. Nobody wants to be on a loser. They want to be on the winner. And in both cases, in chapter 8 and in chapter 12, when the Israelites came back home, they were victorious. And in both cases, the Ephraimites felt like they had been left out and they were angry because they'd been left out. In chapter 8, their anger subsided. But in chapter 12, because of Jephthah's response to them, their anger became more enraged. The Apostle Paul gave a verse... It is probably the key verse when it comes to anger. He said this, Ephesians chapter 4, 26. In, in your anger, do not sin. King James says, be angry, but sin not. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. What's up with these Ephraimites? Well, they had a problem. One problem was they let their anger control their actions. But then the second problem that the Ephraimites had, judging from these two chapters, is in, in, in terms of the way they felt, everything was all about them. Why didn't you call us? Why didn't you let us have part in this? You were victorious. Why didn't you call us? Somebody said this, the tribe of Ephraim felt slighted by Jephthah and they were angry that they did not have a central and prestigious role in the victorious battle over the Ammonites. Somebody else said this, there is a tendency within all of us to not want to do a job unless we receive credit. It is evident that the people of this tribe, Ephraimites, were more concerned with getting the credit than seeing that a job was done. There seems to be, this seems to be a consistent problem with the people, the tribe of Ephraim. They gave a similar response to Gideon in chapter 8. Have you ever been a member of the Ephraimite tribe? <coughs> Have you? You say, well, I don't know. Well, here's the way you would know. If you'll only do something if you get recognized for it. Now, that's an Ephraimite right there. When, when would you come to church? Is it only, when is it? Some of you come to church no matter what. I've seen you. Some people come to church when they're playing in the band, but no other time. When singing in the choir, but no other time. When they're asked to preach, but no other time. When they're playing in the ensemble, but no other time. When they're going to yak, but no other time. When there's going to be a senior trip, but no other time. I know, I've already started meddling with you people. I've already messed up now. 
I don't know, I, I guess it's just the pastor in me, which is going to be a, a little bit on the selfish side. Let me just say that right off the bat. I, see, I'm a little bit Ephraimite myself, I'm afraid. But I like people who come even if they don't have a job to do. Ephraimite, we need y'all to go with us. Okay. Well, they're not coming. Let's just go fight it ourselves. They go fight it and they come back. We've won. And then the Ephraimites come. Why didn't you call us? We did. Why'd you leave us out? We didn't. Being a real servant of Jesus Christ means that we serve without concern for credit knowing that it is up to Jesus to give the reward. The Ephraimites had problems. One, they let their anger get the best of them, and two, everything that they did or, was going, or were going to be a part of had to be all about them. If it wasn't about them, they didn't want any part of it. But they weren't the only ones who had a problem in this passage. Jephthah had a problem. You see, Jephthah was no Gideon. Gideon was willing to save lives by backing down, and it, it didn't cost him a thing. In fact, we look at his response to the Ephraimites in chapter 8, and at least when I read that, I thought, here's a wise man. This is a wise man. He backed down instead of fighting. Now, there are times to fight, but Gideon knew the difference. He knew the times when it was time to fight versus he knew the times when it was time to, sta to step back. And he, stood, he stepped back, back down, instead of fighting the Ephraimites. And it saved no telling how many lives. But this is not Gideon we're talking about. This is Jephthah. Jephthah lacked the wisdom of Gideon. We saw that in the previous chapter when he, he wagered his daughter, the life of his only child, his daughter, in order to win the battle. And he didn't even have to wager her life. He didn't have the wisdom of Gideon. Gideon, rather than fight, saved thousands of lives by backing down. He preferred diplomacy to conflict. Jephthah preferred conflict to diplomacy. Rather than backing down like Gideon did, he chose to fight. And he won the battle. And it cost 42,000 lives, and that's just the number of lives on one side. The Bible does not record the number of Gileadites who died. Now, I'm just thinking about this. Will you, will you think along with me on this thing? What would have been the better thing to do? Back down and avoid an unnecessary fight and save 42,000 plus, no telling how many other thousand lives, or fight to prove a point, which is exactly what Jephthah did. There is a time for fighting. There's a time for backing down. Gideon knew in chapter 8 the wisdom of backing down against the Ephraimite. Jephthah had no such wisdom. I didn't get a nap this afternoon. I really like a Sunday nap, but 
there was something I needed to do. I turned on a fluorescent light. I can see gray hairs better under a fluorescent light. And using a mirror, a front mirror on the wall and a hand mirror, I counted the number of gray hairs in my head. I have 453. I didn't used to have any gray hair. But I have gained gray hairs from trying to put out brush fires in Baptist churches. Uh, now, some of them I started, I'm afraid, and so I was having to put out the fire, fires that I started myself, so understand that. But a lot of times, I'm putting out brush fires that I had nothing to do with that people start. Because uh, the first church I ever pastored was Bethlehem Baptist between Alfred and Cumming. I was there between 83 and 87. There was a family there who felt like their spiritual gift was the creation of brush fires. And I left there uh, in hopes of getting away from that family. And so I went to Concord in 1987, and I was there until 1998. And lo and behold, that family followed me there. Well, it wasn't them. It was their first cousins. But they were there, and they still had the same spiritual gift of starting brush fires. So then I got out of the ministry for a little while, just trying to get away from the brush fire gift people. And then I got called to Palmetto. Some of you were on the search committee. I can't remember everything you said, but I, I could have sworn y'all told me there were, there were no brush fire people here at Palmetto. Fact of the matter is, in every single church, there are people who seem to feel that they've been called to start brush fires. And it's taken me a while to realize that diplomacy is better than conflict. But it cost me 453 gray hairs. And I'm glad that we don't have fluorescent lights in this sanctuary. Because you could see them. It's not funny. There's a story told about a young lion and a cougar. Both animals were thirsty and both animals arrived at their usual watering hole at exactly the same time, this young lion and a cougar, and they immediately began to argue about who should satisfy his thirst first. The argument became heated. The lion decided that he would rather die than give up the privilege of being the first one to dip his tongue in the watering hole. And the cougar, he decided that he'd rather die than let the lion beat him to the watering hole. And their heated conversation turned into a stubborn confrontation and it turned into cruel attacks being levied one on the other and vice versa. In the middle of this brawl, they both happened at the same time to look up and circling overhead was a flock of vultures 
waiting for the loser to fall. Who do you think the vulture is flying overhead waiting for the loser to fall? Who do you think that is? Well, here's what I want you to remember. Here's what the story of Jephthah and the Ephraimites teaches us, I believe, with regard to doing what is right. Doing what is right requires controlling our emotions, looking out for others as well as ourselves instead of only ourselves, and trying to work out problems peacefully. Fact of the matter is, both the Ephraimites and Jephthah suffered from the same some of the same problems. And down through the ages of time, we haven't gotten much better. Let me turn the page just as we close. Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Has there been a time in your life when you know for certain that you invited Jesus Christ into your life to be your Savior and your Lord. That's the number one thing on God's to-do list for you. If you have received Christ as your Savior, then the next thing on His to-do list is to help you and me make right decisions. In the case of Jephthah, it's controlling our emotions it's looking out for peace. It's considering others before ourselves genuinely. This is Sunday night. We're going to have an invitation. And maybe you have a decision to make. For some people in this room, that decision is to invite Jesus into your heart to be your Savior. It really is. Because some of you have not done it. And for some of us, our neighbors, our friends, our family, our schoolmates, our work colleagues think we have been saved and we know deep down that we haven't. You know, Judas walked around with Jesus for three years. Had his name on the list of disciples. But when he died, he died lost. Do you know Jesus? I mean, really, do you know Jesus? Some people who are saved here need, need to make some really serious decisions, I think. I think for some of us, it begins with making a commitment to really being serious about the Lord, not just when we're asked to do something, but even when we're not. we make the right decision. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you first of all for Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for coming and giving your life that we might have eternal life. Lord, I want to thank you that when I was an eight-year-old boy and didn't understand most of of what most people knew about salvation, still I came forward and you saved me. 
And Lord, there are people in this building who don't understand everything about salvation, but they know enough to know that they're lost and they need to come, knowing that if they come, you'd save them. I just pray that you'd help them to come. Lord, there are people among us, and I'm one of these, who really needs to get serious about serving you and about working in your church. We need to get serious to the point, Lord, where we're willing to be a part even if we are not asked to have a part and even if we're not given credit for anything. Some people, Lord, in this room need to come and join this church, become a, a, a member of this church. Lord, will you help all of us make the right decision in these next few minutes, these next few pivotal minutes. In Jesus' name, amen.